Hello and welcome to episode one of Crazy Pastors. I'm your host, Christopher Cass. And I'm your other host, Ronnie Marriott. This is the Crazy Pastors podcast. Yay! Yay! And it's our very first one. So, Ronnie, let's just start off okay. by talking about why did we name this Crazy Pastors? <laughs> because all the pastors we know are crazy. I mean, it, you know, ministry can drive you crazy. Uh, there's, it's quite a deal to accept a call into ministry. So uh, you have to be prepared for some of the craziness that happens because you're dealing with people, you're dealing with life, all ministry at the same time. So we want to help people not go crazy, <laughs> even as they deal with some of the craziness of ministry. Absolutely. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shine that flashlight just a little bit clearer <laughs> on one thing. Ronnie said all pastors are a little crazy. Yeah, I'm going to say, go. no, 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 that's here not true. Only lead pastors. Oh. Every single senior pastor I've ever worked with, coached, or helped is just a little bit off. <laughs> uh, honestly, in all seriousness, you're right. I mean, we all in ministry, uh, it, it is fraught with danger. And honestly, it is a war. It is not a war with people. It's a spiritual right. war that we are constantly fighting. Yes. And so it has a toll on us. Yeah. Um, so That's represented by flesh and blood sometimes. So Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we want to uh, point out uh, things that we've learned along the way that kind of maybe some crazy stories that we've seen or yes. heard, oh, and then yeah. perhaps some counterpoint on how might that have been done better, <laughs> right? So as a point of clarification, uh, a lot of people are going to be listening to this who do not know who we are. Yeah. So my name is Christopher Cass. I currently serve as the executive pastor at First Burleson in Burleson, Texas. I have served in full-time ministry now for 21 years. The first 10 years, I was writing, teaching, coaching, consulting churches and pastors on the area of organizational leadership. And then the last 10 years, I've continued to do that, but I've also been a, a full-time executive pastor in local church ministry. Prior to all that, I was in the corporate world and an entrepreneur. So Ronnie, how about you? What's your background? Uh, yeah, so I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Burleson in the same city and been in full-time ministry so 31 years now. Wow, that shows. Uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, and it, it does feel like that. Um, did part-time before going through college and seminary. Got my full-time, first full-time gig in 1990. Uh, spent about eight years as a student pastor, and then went on to pastor. So, um, yeah, learned a lot, and that's kind of the, you know, we, we quote the farmer's commercial, whatever that is. <laughs> we know a few things because we've seen a few things. And that's why I'm excited about this podcast. I wish they had something like that. I wish they had podcasts when I was starting <laughs> out. Uh, but somebody just come along and say, hey, you know, man, here's some pitfalls. Here's some things I've learned. Here's some, some failures I've had that maybe can help you avoid some of those same pitfalls and not make you go crazy. It, so I want to help people not go crazy. As do I. And I think a point of clarification on this is that, you know, we do not think at all that we are right in all of these positions. Well, no. We do not think that we're infallible in these things. We're no just trying to share our own experience and kind of what we've learned along the way. Yes. Yes. So today's topic, I'm so <laughs> excited about this. Our today's topic is staff infections. <laughs> you know, I had a, a wise pastor that I served under when I was youth pastor. Uh, he knew that I wanted to pastor. So he was great in helping me and letting me do things. But he gave me some great advice. He said, you know, ministry's tough. You go through a lot of stuff. Biggest issue you will ever deal with, and that's what he called it, staff infection. 
Mm. You know, you expect that from church people, but dealing with staff because you're with them every day of the week and, and ministry. And so because of that, conflict's going to occur. It's just natural. And so that'll be some of the biggest issues if you don't learn how to handle it well. And uh, honestly, I, I didn't always handle things very well, but I've learned since then. So. Well, I think all of us, Ronnie, if we're honest, yeah. early in our ministry, uh, and even some of us still today, I mean, perhaps. I meant like last week. Last week. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us were never taught how to do these things. Seminary right. certainly did not teach no. anybody how to handle these issues. No. So uh, you either learn them by getting, uh, you know, kicked in the stomach a bunch of times, <laughs> yeah, uh, or you have someone come alongside and show you the way. Yeah. Uh, but no matter what it is, it's going to be difficult and painful. As we talked about staph infections, one of the things that uh, I, I want us to, to talk through a little bit is how does a staph infection occur? What does that look like? Right. And then how do you act practical things? How do you resolve it? Uh, is a starting point, a uh, jumping point on it. You know, a staph infection in the human body starts off with microscopic bacteria. That's all that it is. And most people carry that bacteria on their skin all the time. That's true. But a staph infection goes from something that's on your skin that's no big deal. It's alive. All of us have it. And it grows into sores, all kinds of stuff, and eventually untreated in your bloodstream can kill you. Right. Yeah. little tiny thing becomes a huge thing. For me, that prompts... Your meeting, our meeting here when we hosted Todd Tolson. Yeah, yeah. All right? So tell us yes. some more about what Todd had to say about staph infection. Uh, yeah, and I think we need a little bit of a disclaimer because um, we're going to be talking about some experiences in the past. None of those apply to where we are now. So only the positives. Uh, we'll talk the positives of, of our staff here. What's your dragnet statement? <laughs> what was that dragnet statement? <laughs> yeah, so the, the names have been changed to protect uh, the, the innocent, the guilty. Oh, uh, the guilty. <laughs> we'll change that. So, uh, not that we haven't had conflict here, but we, we have. But uh, just so that we keep um, good rapport here, we we won't talk about any of those things. So, yeah, uh, Todd g gave a great example, and he asked, started by asking the question: Who on your staff would you say is just one degree off? And so he gave this description of a rowboat, you know. And there's several. If you've been on a row team or seen those races. So there's one person, everybody's rowing together, and that's the key, being rhythm all together to go as fast as you can, as far as you can. It just takes one person just to be a little bit behind or a little bit unbalanced, and over time, if that stays that way, it'll take your boat, your ship off course. And I thought that was a great description on the staff, and he, you know, he gave the description of this person. Everybody likes them. You like them. They like you. Uh, for the most part, they're team players. There's just a little bit something that's they're not totally bought in to the vision. And over time, if it's not dealt with, we'll stray the whole ship off course. Just takes that little bit, that little amount, to kind of get you off course, which eventually could be a train wreck. And so identifying that uh, and dealing with it is important. You know, if I were if I were to modify that illustration just a little bit, it would be that your entire team all has their own individual life rafts, rowboats. Yeah. They're all rowing their own rowboat. And our job as leaders is to make sure that all of these rowboats powered by individual people are all headed in the same direction. Yeah. And when one of them is off one degree, if you're not looking, monitoring, instant feedback, always course correcting every day, then you're going to look back and your staff is going to be all over the ocean. 
Yeah. Right? They're all just, they're going to be dispersed. So we know that that happens, right? Sure. So let's talk about some crazy stuff that we've heard (laughs) and seen. Uh, If we agree that staph infection occurs, even among uh, church organizations, uh, what, do you have a crazy story of a pastor or a church that just went off the rails on this deal? Yeah. Excluding yeah. current work environments yes, and our, our personal friends and neighbors. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we've heard the stories of staff members getting into fist fights, <laughs> wrestling matches, you know, getting punched <laughs> in the chest. I mean, we've seen the, heard the extreme. I've never been a part of that, but I've heard those extremes. But, you know, just I can think on one time in ministry they were – two staff members that were a part of the church and, and major leaders, executives on the staff, that just always butted heads against one another. And it was not uncommon to hear these two staff members yelling at each other in the office, mm. in the same office. I guess the doors closed. They thought nobody could hear, but walls are thin, so everybody could hear. And so, you know, that just broke down credibility. It broke down trust, and it broke down morale. I mean, actually screaming. Two grown adults screaming at the top of their lungs at one another. Of course, nothing's being accomplished other than everybody's like, man, I, I don't know that I want to be a part of this kind of thing. So that that is a, a story I remember from my past, and I just thought, never, never will I get it. If it gets to that point, we need to go to opposite corners and, and cool off. You know, I have been in a similar environment in the past that uh, I, I this is maybe shocking or stunning to some people listening. I hope it is. But I've heard uh, senior-level staff members of churches cussing at each other <laughs> like they were sailors just getting off of a boat. Yeah, uh, I mean, foul, abusive language in a church building as they interact with each other. Oh, not playing golf, actually. In the oh, church. no. Okay. No, at, in those yelling matches. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mind-boggling. I'll, let me, I'll tell you one story that uh, I find uh, uh, interesting about the wrong way to take care of staff infection. Okay, there there was a church that uh, shall go nameless, and you know this is a church that's running eleven hundred or so on adults on Sunday mornings. Uh, they're doing relatively well uh, financially; they're doing fine. Uh, but there was conflict among the staff, and I'll never forget the senior pastor uh, coming in on Monday morning and firing all the other pastors on the staff. Oh wow. Every single pastor of the church was fired <laughs> except for the senior pastor. Wow. Yikes. And immediately the church started taking the nosedive. Yeah, I would right? think so. Yeah. But to do that without support, to do that without church uh, buy-in, yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Who does something like that? <laughs> or several stories of pastors that come in and change the vision, like, Hey, I've, I've had this new revelation. I've had this new mountaintop experience. Yeah, so here's where, now we're going a totally different direction. I need you on board, and I need you to do these kind of things right away. In in the story that I shared, I want to be also clear. These pastors that were terminated, it was not because of moral failure. It was not because they were not godly men. It was because there was a conflict on the staff that the senior pastor decided enough was enough, and instead of dealing with it, he cut it from the vine completely. Yeah. Right? So anyway... Uh, let's talk a little bit about how, since I just mentioned firing staff, Ronnie, this is a debatable question among churches today. Yes. Can you fire pastors? Can you fire staff for non-moral reasons? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, (laughs) 
Yeah, and that's, you know, we've heard that argument a hundred times of, well, church called them, church has to let them go. But honestly, you don't want to get to that point to take that person before the church. And we've all heard of that, um, what they call vote of confidence. <laughs> that's, that's just the craziest thing to me, vote of confidence. What you've done is just split. All right, so we're going to choose, yeah, you know, 49 people want them gone, 51 people want them to stay. So guess what? You get to stay. Well, now you've got a divided church. Right. So that's just crazy because you don't want to get to that point because it, it's not, even if the guy stays and you've got half the congregation that's mad or if they leave, then you get, it's just very divisive. So uh, even with staff members that, again, and it may not be anything major that they've done, they just don't fit um, the vision where they're going. And a lot of that time that happens when a pastor comes to a new church and inherits a staff and that staff was great under the old vision where the church was headed before, but maybe not a fit. Not that they're not great ministers of the gospel. Right. Not that they're super talented. It's just that it's kind of like that back to that rowboat idea. They're just not quite in or bought into what's going on. And they're going to be happier somewhere else as well as the church will be happier with them somewhere else. So it, again, this could easily be portrayed as a negative. This person's a bonehead and done something ridiculous. And that's not necessarily the case. That's why I think that I love that we have the vision framework. Talk about mission, vision, strategies, and values. And that guides not only our decisions, but it, it guides who we have on the team. Right. Because that's, you, you know, you can have someone on your team that's teachable and, and wants to be moldable, but they've got to understand the vision and say, yeah, I, I can see myself as a part of that. And too many times we don't deal with that, bringing a staff member on at the beginning. We just talk about skills and experience, not really talking about, here's where we're headed. Can you see yourself as a part of this? Or is this not something you're interested in? And that's where we get into trouble sometimes. This is something that I think has been a little controversial. So forgive me if you don't agree with this, Ronnie, but I've never even asked you this question. <laughs> I, ha I grew up in the military. So my perspective of my dad serving in the military, which by the way, our family was in the military, um, that he was not he, he was not assigned to go work at one base or at one job, right? He was in the military, and the military sent him wherever the military wanted to. He did not get to veto that. He did not get to say, no, I'm not going to go. Yeah. Uh, he had to go. One of the things that I think is kind of surprising to me is when someone says, I am called to this church, this, it, as if this is the only place that I'm called to ever serve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, instead of, no, no, no. I remember when I signed my ordination, it said I was called to the gospel ministry right. yeah. wherever God sent me. Yes. Yeah. So give me some counterpoint to that, your thoughts. No, I, I think that's right. And again, th there are times that our ministry has a season and we're involved in a church because at the time our skill sets are needed there. But it may be a time that even as the vision of the church begins to change or becomes fulfilled, looking for another one, then it's time to move on. I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of ministers do it for advancement. Hey, you know, always want the bigger church and the bigger salary. And that's going to happen. But after a while, that just kind of wears thin as well. So just understanding, hey, this is something I'm a part of. It could be a, a church that's in a rural area, and then that area begins to grow and becomes more cosmopolitan, and that person just fits better in a rural context. That was one of the best advice I received from a professor at seminary, knowing my background, because 
I was looking to, to graduate and go to a church. And the normal pattern was go find a little country church somewhere and serve for two, three years and then move on. He said, you know, you're from the big city. You grew up in the big city. You're going to be miserable in a little rural town, 200, 500 people. Don't feel like you have to go do that to pay your dues. You'll pay your dues. Uh, you can do that in the big city as well. So understanding who you are, I think, is huge part of knowing where I fit and maybe when it's time to look for another location. Well said. So we know that staph infection occurs, and we yes. have talked about a couple of crazy things that we've seen. Uh, let, let's talk about this for a minute. How do you identify those that are 1% off? Those that, again, we're not talking about massive, humongous problems. We're just saying it, it, it's not fitting. It's not working. Yeah. We're not headed in the same direction. How do we identify those people? That's the beauty behind the the 120-day leadership map that, in case you don't know, Christopher meets with our every staff member on a regular basis. And each staff member has a 120-day leadership map talking about their goals and visions for their ministry. Uh, because, on, honestly, that's who we look for. We want leaders on our staff that are thinking ahead, thinking through these things, not that we're having to prompt them. They're bringing stuff to us, say, this is what I feel God's leading us to do. And because of that, because you meet with them on a regular basis, uh, it, it makes it really kind of a no-brainer at some point for them to start to see, you know, we keep running up against this wall. This may be an indicator I'm, I'm not a good fit here. Rather than once a year review, which a lot of staffs do, right. it's just crazy to me that we walk in after a year and we review, hey, you know, you're not going to be here in two weeks. That's just crazy. But if it's gradual like that along the way, the person that isn't a fit begins to see that if they're wise in recognizing things. But it's also relational. So you are building that relationship with them. I mean, I know you ask about family, and it's more than just a, a meeting. It's really kind of checking in on life. And because of that, they, they trust you. They trust their leaders to know that this isn't adversarial. This is just reality, that here's where the church needs to go, and I, I'm just not the person to get us there in this area of ministry. And so I think that gradual process is healthier rather than walking in and cold, just like, hey, you need to go. This is not the right place for you. So it's done with much prayers, much conversation, and there are great indicators along the way that I may be headed in a different direction. I may be that one percenter, that one degree off. And so I need to find a place where I do fit in rowing together with the team. Yeah, these, these, I appreciate you mentioned the 120 day leadership map. So we, we take, uh, the church has three semesters to it. Each uh, department head has uh, the question posed to them how, for example, this current semester we're in, it is currently January 1st, or for us, I think January 2nd is when we were back in the office. Yeah. It's January 2nd today. On May 1st, how will you be able to demonstrate to me that your area of ministry is better? Yeah. And it could be two to three things. If you're a seasoned vet, it could be five to ten things. But we as leaders have to make things better. So I, I think as we go through this process, and I meet with our staff, uh, hopefully once a month, it really is every six to eight weeks just with conflicts and scheduling and stuff. Yeah. But we determine quickly from a, it's not just a performance standpoint, right? It, it really isn't. It's also a heart and mind standpoint. That if someone only is able to accomplish one of their three to five things, part of what they're saying in that is they really don't think these things are important. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's, it's yeah. not performance. It really is heart. 
Uh, and that's how we quickly determine, I say quickly, over time, we yeah. can start to see the disparity. And the disparity is clearly spelled out for us because we have all of these value statements as a staff that identifies how we're going to work, the things we're going to do, the things we're not going to do. And we'll, we'll dive into that, how what we've established as our vision framework in another podcast. Yeah. But let me ask, we, ha- we are joined today with a guest, our incredible <laughs> creative arts pastor, who is our engineer as well, Michael Glenn, the famous Yay. Michael Glenn. Hello. Michael, you're the, one of the newest pastors on our staff. Give us your input so far as being a part of this team now for over a year. Um, this whole 120-day thing, this accountability structure and culture that we have here, what, what are your thoughts? How has it impacted you? Yeah, I think as somebody coming, uh, being in ministry for, I guess this is his 10th year in ministry, um, at either part-time or full-time level and being in the corporate world for a while, I highly, highly, highly value the 120-day leadership map. And not just because my boss is sitting across from me. Um, It really comes from, (laughs) I think, um, church staff, uh, some churches that I've been on staff at and just friends that I've been with in ministry. I think a lot of times we can make an excuse because we're a church. We don't have to be organized. We don't have to have Mm. uh, great relationships with one another. We don't have to have uh, great processes. We don't have to have great accountability. All these things that come through um, when when you're naturally just working on a church staff, I think we kind of believe that as an excuse. And so what I love about this is there's accountability there, but again, it's not a, how's your progress? Um, how much output are you doing? Uh, what do you weigh in terms on the scale of how great of a staff member you are? Mm-hmm. It really boils down to heart and skill. And a lot of things you were just saying, but um, I think, you know, Ronnie alluded to this a little bit, but the relational side of that. Um, every time I walk out of a 120-day leadership at meeting um, with you, I walk away knowing that our relationship has gained more depth, mm-hmm. that we have yeah. gone deeper because, again, it's not just a check-in on, hey, did you get this stuff done? It's, hey, really, how are things going, number one? But do you still believe the things you said 90 days ago? <laughs> do you still feel as strongly as you did 90 days ago? And then you get to ask that question with me and we get to weigh that together. Um, but then there's also the relational of, of my family. There's the check-in, how, how is your marriage? How is your family doing in the middle of this? How are you connecting relationally with church members? How, how, are, how do you like being in Burles? And all the questions that are natural when you bring on a staff member and, uh, I'll just say this, it is, in my experience in ministry, I can only speak for me, I've never gotten to go to that level of depth in terms of relationship with my boss, um, but also I've never gone to the depth of um, the planning that we do when it comes to ministry, the strategy that we do when it comes to ministry. I think a lot of times we want to just assume that the Holy Spirit will lead us into that, that um, that, that it'll all naturally happen. Um, it just doesn't happen that way. And so I'm grateful. And thank you for that. Uh, I, I can't remember the quote off the top of my head, uh, so I'm not going to claim this as mine. Uh, but somewhere I came across the phrase that the only thing that is natural in life is death and decay. Everything else is the result of leadership, strong effort. So, Well, and I think that's the question if we want to get to the bottom of all this. So uh, how do you fire a staff member? And this relational thing, because, you know, 
there's, I guess over ministry, there's maybe been seven or eight staff members that I've had to let go and I've done it poorly. Mm. Uh, you know, one was, Hey, it's time for you to go, but you can stay here until you find another job, which took about six months and it was terrible, uh, to, Hey, two weeks, you need to be out of here. And so I think we've learned some experience too of that. Hey, we really want to help you find your next place. Now that's not always received well, but Hey, we really think you would be a better fit at this place or, or whatever. And so we'll give you the two weeks, which is customary, and, and you can have your celebration and your send-off, and we'll continue to pay you. You just don't have to be here. I think that's one of the best formulas that I've discovered of whether it's severance or whatever. Hey, we've, we've got you covered for the next eight months. We've got your insurance covered. While you just, your full-time job is to find your next ministry. And that's been the best formula I've seen because they are taken care of. Because uh, and, and that is the hardest thing we do, is to let a staff member go. That's the most gut-wrenching, painful. Uh, it, it just rocks your world. But as, as you always say, and we always agree on, to err on the side of generosity mm. is always the way to go. So that, you know, because that's always the question, how do you let somebody go? Well, you do it as, as gracefully and graciously as possible and making sure that they're, they're going to be taken care of. Now, not letting them take advantage of that, but here's, here's an ending point. And we will be happy to be a positive reference for you and even to seek some places we think you'd be a good fit because we know a lot of places and a lot of churches uh, that we feel would be better. And, well, you and I both in our careers have valued that, right? Yes, yes. That you and I just, for what it, because of the way God has wired us, uh, we are serious about networking and about developing relationships with other churches, other yes. denominations. Yes. And just because of that, I don't know, I've got, I think I'm, I'm right at the cusp of 3,000 contacts on my phone that <laughs> I'm trying to maintain, wow. call from time to time, Am stay I in touch with. Uh, no. Nope. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and so, yes, we do know, we just know a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, I enjoy being able to call another church and say, hey, I've got someone who is ready for a ministry position. Yeah. The context you're doing is phenomenal for them. And to reverse recruit yeah, you right. know, on behalf of our own staff, because the truth is it, the way we run, uh, the way I say we run, the way that our staff is structured, that we have some people that are going to be here for a long period of time. They're conference speakers, they're writers, they're authors, all of that. Right. Then we have just a sea of young people that we are committed to developing as ministers of the gospel, yeah. teaching, training, equipping, bringing them in, building them up, sending them out. Yes. And so we are just constantly in that mode. Uh, it's a natural thing. It's weirder when it's, and it's sometimes <laughs> more painful yeah. when it's one of your pillar staff. Right. Right. That you've realized, hey, we've just grown to a place that we're not a good fit anymore. Yeah. Talking about, I, you, you've heard me use that phrase a tissue match, like in a kidney, a liver, yeah. or a heart, or anything, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you, Ronnie. It, when it comes time, when you know that we need to we need to part ways, do it with grace, mercy, diplomacy <laughs> intact. Yeah. Err on the side of generosity. If you think this person's been here, for, and by the way, your constitution and bylaws or at least your personnel policies and procedures should identify how you do this in writing. Yes, that's okay? very important to have it in writing, not take it 
case by case. Yeah, that way it's, it's, it's set, right? Trust the process, right? Trust the process. <laughs> have a process Have written a process first, and trust it. Yeah. And then trust the process. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've heard horror stories from colleagues that the senior pastor or chairman of a personnel committee or lead elder, whatever it was, has walked into their office and said, you really need to work somewhere else and you have two weeks and may the Lord bless you. Yeah. And this is, again, not because of poor performance, just right. not a good fit. It's time for that person to leave. Yeah. And to have, to have ministers literally spent 10 years investing in their lives and their families' lives in a church setting, be given two weeks and then shown the door with nothing after that, yeah. no, no severance, no nothing, that is absolutely heinous in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and two, uh, I know we could talk on this subject for hours, but one principle I learned when I was pastoring my first church, it was actually from a vice president at McCoy's Lumber, uh, who can meet all your lumber needs. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and I call it the Kent principle because he taught me, he said, you know, one of the things that he does with his employees, if a customer comes to complain or another employee comes to complain to them about him, then their response should be, well, what did Kent say when you told him your concern? Yes. And so we've talked that, I've adopted that, use that in every church, talking with staff when a church member comes to complain to Christopher about Ronnie, mm -hmm. Christopher's response should be, well, what did Ronnie say? And if the person says, well, I didn't tell Ronnie, then Christopher's response would be, well, hey, let's go talk to Ronnie because I know he'd want to hear your concern. He, he, would, he would care. And so that's been a great principle to use and I use it with deacons and trustees and all of our leadership, but also with inside the staff, because I mean, let's be honest, a lot of times staff members will talk about senior leadership rather than going to talk to senior leadership. Or about each other. Or about each other. Right. And so that policy works within a staff and that's just been proven to be so helpful to keep that divisiveness from occurring to say, hey, we can talk about anything. If you disagree with me, let's talk about that. Don't have the parking lot meetings. Let's deal with it head on. And if you encounter someone that's griping, complaining, then deal with it. Don't just let that go. And by that supporting it, actually say, hey, let's go talk to Ronnie because let's, let's get this figured out because this is not healthy. And that's just been, uh, I'm glad I learned that one early on. Well, that's a great segue. And, and obviously that's biblical and it's a Matthew 18 application, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a great segue. We, we've, we've talked about staff infections and accepting the fact that they occur. Yeah. We've talked about can you fire, how should you fire, uh, and we can obviously talk about that a lot. You're transitioning to now, how can we prevent it from happening? How can we prevent a staff infection from happening? You mentioned the Kent principle. Uh, I, I, I would throw out a, just a more general concept yeah. that we have as a value here that we will not allow unresolved conflict to reside on our staff. Right. And when that, when we see it, we immediately, not six yes. weeks later, yes. not six months later, right. we dive into it right away. And what that looks like practically for us is that if I see, let's, I'll just pick on Michael. Uh, Michael's on our team. Another one of our pastors is Daniel. If I see Michael and Daniel get into it a little bit with each other, or I see some snotty emails get sent back and forth, <laughs> uh, you know, I am going to call them both out. I'm going to bring them into my office and I'm going to ask them what's going on. You put your referee shirt on first or what? No. You have a whistle? No, just bring them in. They, they know at that point, 
<laughs> they know what they're doing with each other. Yeah. And they know if they're coming into the executive pastor's office, it's now gotten serious. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, but we talk about it. We hash it out. We deal with it and we move on. We make our apologies. We accept responsibility and we move on. The thing that I have seen, and obviously there's thousands of books written on this. Yeah. Uh, people avoid dealing with that conflict. Yes. Out of selfishness. Yeah. Because they are afraid of the pain that they personally will feel in holding someone accountable. They say they don't want to make that other person angry or mad. The truth is that is false. Yeah. They don't want to feel that themselves. So I, I see you you wanna you wanna mention something, Ronnie. <laughs> Maybe course correct me here. No, no, no. <laughs> I think I think you're right on, and that's that because it does take the whole team to keep that unity. You know, the Bible talks a lot about unity. Jesus prayed for unity. Uh, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And because of that, conflict will happen as we get closer. We uh, rub each other the wrong way sometimes. But that, that idea, because Satan loves to divide and conquer. He loves to distract. And it, we often say this, as the staff goes, so goes the church. So if he can target the leadership and cause division there, ultimately, as we've seen, it'll divide the whole church. And so the staff has to protect, has to be the shepherd, not only protecting the sheep, but protecting the other shepherds. Even today, I had a meeting uh, where... Who was it? Yeah, I, just today <laughs> on our team. No, I had a meeting where uh, a pastor on our team came into my office and said, hey, you did this. I didn't like it, hmm. right? Yeah. And as the executive pastor, I have to model it and genuinely say, and I mean it with all my being, I am so sorry. Yeah. I did not mean for that to happen, it, I, that was not my intent and why that happened. Will you please forgive me? Yeah. I don't know why it is. I mean, granted, the first couple of times I said that to my wife early in marriage, I thought it was ludicrous. I, I just didn't, <laughs> it didn't connect with my mind. Uh, now, though, many, many years later, I find it fascinating how difficult those words are to utter, are to utter yeah. for other people. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Just say know. it, get over it, accept it. Yeah. It's got to be pride, right? As leaders, it is our job to fall on the sword all yeah. the time. As Christ did for us, we do for others, yeah. our team included. Well, you talk about that, you know, saying, I'm sorry. We tell parents you need to model that to your kids, being willing to say, I'm sorry when you blow it for your kids. Same is true in our staff. When we blow it with another staff member, we got to admit that. Hey, I'm sorry, because we're going to blow it. We will, especially you. Thank now, you. <laughs> okay, so we, we've identified them. We've talked through how do you, how do you handle it? Uh, certainly, just not allowing conflict to reside, holding people accountable. Uh, I mean, Lencioni would talk about that till he's you know blue in the face. Um, and uh, he, I mean, of course, he talks about it in Five Dysfunctions and pretty much every book he's written. Yeah. So, uh, any other tips or thoughts that you have to share on this topic of staff infection? Yeah, you know, just I mean, sometimes. When you think about that analogy, uh, it's got to be treated, obviously. But sometimes, honestly, you just have to cut it out. That's the hardest part, most invasive, but sometimes it's necessary for the health of the body. But even helping that person find the right spot is more of that kingdom mindset than just local. One of the things, Ronnie, I think that uh, it, it may be a surprising statement. It's not said enough, uh, and I'm not sure everyone believes it is, that are in, that's in ministry but I genuinely believe that God intends for us to enjoy our work. Yes. 
that we are experienced joy. 100%. And it's not all about, there will be suffering, there will be pain. I mean, it is a bone grinding mill. But how can you go through all of that when not you don't have joy, yeah. right? Yeah. Joy and pain, uh, sunshine and rain goes together. And again, to be able to enjoy the people you work with is huge. That's what this relationship's all about. It's cool to actually have staff members be friends. You know, sometimes it makes it awkward, but I think that's a better way. That way you can't have those critical conversations because you know that I love you and I trust you and really think, think this is for the betterment of everybody involved. Kind of one of my guiding thoughts to all of this has been uh, that the way that Jesus told us to take the gospel out from Jerusalem, I've always viewed as a staff illustration that we are to be Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and that Jerusalem is the staff. And if the staff can't do this, if the staff can't be a life group, a genuine family together, what business do we have teaching anybody else to do that? Yeah, you can't expect that from the church if you're not willing to do that as a staff. I agree. Exactly. Well, thank you all so much for being a part of episode number one of the Crazy Pastors podcast. Between now and when we have our next podcast and you have fired staff and reduced the numbers <laughs> that you have, our next podcast, we are going to talk about how do you hire staff? How do you hire healthy staff? How do you do this well? Because honestly, as bad as churches are about firing staff, they're twice as bad in hiring staff. Oh, 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 oh,